Hi, this is John Harcher. Welcome to episode 36 of Keep On Grooving. Once the DVD era began, all those concerts that had been sitting in the vaults began to make their way out. Well, all except one. Experienced Hendrix also decided to put their own take on things by releasing their own versions of previously released concerts, giving fans a different look at things they thought they knew. Then we got another advancement in video technology with Blu-ray, leading to yet another round of re-releases, sometimes with even more footage. Episode 36, Jimi Hendrix on Home Video, 1998 through today. Okay, I'm going to do this episode in two pieces. First, we'll do a quick rundown of all the things that have come out during the Experience Hendrix era, everything from the standalones to those discs that got included with the album releases. Then we'll take a look at four of the main concerts and see how Experience Hendrix did their versions as compared to the originals. We'll take a look at Monterey, Woodstock, Atlanta, and Isle of Wight. So a quick recap. In the VHS era here in the States, our choices were a little limited. We had the 1973 film, Johnny B. Good from 1986, both Monterey Pop and Jimmy Plays Monterey. The Woodstock film, first the original 1970 version, then a 1994 extended cut. The short version of Rainbow Bridge and eventually Jimmy Plays Berkeley and 1968's Experience, a.k.a. See My Music Talking. Overseas, they had extended concert films for Woodstock, Atlanta, and Isle of Wight. Plus, it appears there was at least a limited release of the On the Road and Festivals collections right around the time Experience Hendrix started operations. Once the family took over in the mid-90s, they looked to reset everything from scratch. This included the video collections as well as on the music front. However, they didn't control a number of them stateside. Warners had Woodstock in the 1973 film. Someone else had Rainbow Bridge and Monterey Pop. So they began to work through some of the older contracts and films first. They teamed with Rhino to release the Isle of Wight concert, finally. They worked with VH1 to do a classic album show on Electric Leading Land that was put out on home video. And when they did their Woodstock film, they re-released the old cut of the Jimmy performance from 1992 or so. But this would be released on the latest video format, DVD. The DVD really began to revolutionize things. It was, in short, the CD of video. Laserdiscs were around since the late 80s or early 90s, but there were these large LP-sized discs, and the players were really expensive. So it never really took off with the general public. It was mostly restricted to video files. Like VHS, DVD was also in a bit of a format battle with DivX, a very strange attempt at a format, if you ask me. You would buy a disc, then buy a movie, and you can only watch it for 48 hours. Then you pay for it again if you want to watch it again. And they wonder why it didn't take off. So DVD won out. And the players quickly dropped in price to be affordable to just about everyone and even to get included with computers. So then the companies that took so long to embrace VHS jumped right in and began to get things out pretty quickly. But they also realized that with the high definitions, things they could get away with on videotape wouldn't work on DVD. 
So they began various levels of restoration programs. Robert Harris had been doing them for the big screen for films like Spartacus and Lawrence of Arabia. Because of his work, everyone had a template of how to get things done, now with the additional step of digitizing it. Soon Experience Hendrix followed up their first DVD of the Woodstock show with their second, one with the black and white footage of the Band of Gypsies show from January 1st, 1970, as a companion to their Live at the Fillmore East release. This had the two songs on side one, Who Knows and Machine Gun, then alternate versions of Changes in Power of Soul, Stepping Stone that was on the Fillmore East album, the two songs from Band of Gypsies 2, Foxy Lady and the Faded Out Stop, plus the last section of Earth Blues once they got the recorder working again. Fans used to have to hunt this down in bootleg shops. Now here it was in as pristine a condition as they were ever likely to get. Plus they added a documentary, an example they would follow in the years to come. In 2001, they released a 1968 experience film to DVD. It had been released on VHS a decade earlier, but this one was loaded up with a number of additional performances, including two different sets from Stockholm. Wind Cries Mary and Purple Haze from May 24th, 1967, and Sunshine of Your Love and Red House from January 9th, 1969. Plus, they added Wild Thing from the October 9th, 1967 show in Paris, and promo films for Hey Joe from 1967, and Dolly Dagger from 1997. Now, as they say on Sesame Street, which one of these things is not like the other? They followed this up in 2002 with the two Dick Cavett show appearances. It was just the two segments, so for those of you looking to, to see what Robert Downey Sr. and Robert Young were talking about, you'll have to check with the Cavett archives. They had some segments with Dick and his memories of the shows, including the one on the Monday after Woodstock, when Jimmy had just barely finished a few hours earlier and wasn't able to make the show. Again, we used to have to resort to bootlegs to get these, so nice to have them in a cleanly watchable form. Later that year, they released Blue Wild Angel, a two-disc release of Jimmy's full Isle of Wight set. Okay, there were a few trims here and there. As a companion to this, they released a film of the same name to go along with it. It would set the template for later experienced Hendrix film releases. As we talked about last time, Murray Lerner had finally been able to put together his own film about the festival, Message to Love. He used a number of Hendrix performances, including Foxy Lady and Purple Haze, which did not appear in the 1990 film that Alan Douglas had put together. Blue Wild Angel would piggyback off of both of those. They would start off talking about the festival, then move on to the concert footage itself. Almost everything was filmed except Midnight Lightning and Hey Baby. They also came up with a feature that allowed viewers to watch some of the songs from multiple angles. Hey Joe was filmed but had issues and did not appear in the film. Not yet, anyway. Things quieted down for a few years, then roared back in 2005 with the double-disc version of Live at Woodstock. This would finally be the full version in performance order of Jimmy's entire set. Oh yeah, except Larry's stuff. Now, it turned out Michael Wadley's team didn't get Hear My Train to come and record it. They did get everything else and it showed up here, but we also got something extra. Someone was running a videotape on the side of the stage and got practically the entire set, including Hear My Train of Coming. So the whole thing was covered between the two discs. I'm going to guess the videotape had Larry's songs as well, but... Eh. 
In 2006, they decided to break out Jimmy's segment from the Martin Scorsese Presents the Blues program. We'll put that for sale. Unfortunately, that's one I haven't gotten yet. I think I saw it once and you know, good for what it was. The following year, Experience Hendrix put out their version of the Monterey performance for the festival's 40th anniversary. And to go along with it, they did a revamped version of Jimmy Plays Monterey entitled American Landing. It basically goes over the same material as the original film, just without Papa John Phillips, but they got producer Lou Adler instead. They also did a similar thing to Blue Wild Angel, allowing viewers to switch between all the different camera angles that we talked about last time. In 2008, they decided to revamp the Electric Ladyland Classic Albums video, expanding it by almost half an hour and retitling it at last the beginning. Then the move to Sony happened, when the label reissued the three Experience albums, as well as First Rays of the New Rising Sun, they included a short DVD with each of them. I didn't end up getting those from what I've heard. They're moderately interesting, but it's not like it's a whole big look at the making of each album. BBC Sessions also got a bonus DVD, this one including the Burning the Midnight Lamp performance. And I can't remember if it's the one with the wrong song or not. I will have to go back and check it out. Then when the West Coast Seattle Boy box set came out, they also released a documentary entitled Voodoo Child. It told Jimmy's life story and career through letters and other readings performed by a dead-on Jimmy impersonator, who we all know as Bootsy Collins. I was really surprised how perfect he did him, right down to his pronunciations and intonations. The switch to Sony also coincided with the rise of yet another new video format, Blu-ray. Like the VHS Betamax battle of the early 80s and the DVD DivX battle of the 90s, there were two higher quality than DVD formats competing for business. One was literally called HD DVD and the other was Blu-ray. I don't know exactly why Blu-ray won out over HD DVD. I think it had to do with the coding that studios preferred, but it won and it quickly began to make its way onto the market. I had two Blu-ray players by mid-2012, both for each around 200, 250 bucks, so really affordable. So with the new format came the chance to reissue their collections on Blu-ray. But Sony and Experience Hendrix decided to take things one step further. For most of the reissues, they would go back and either re-edit or add new material to each of the films. The only one that didn't get this treatment was Live at Monterey, which was issued on Blu-ray by MCA soon after its 2007 release. So Sony just reissued it as is under their label. The first was live at Woodstock in 2010. It had the same basic material as the previous two DVD set, but the quality upgrade was substantial, both visually and on audio. In 2011, they did the same for Band of Gypsies adding a 5.1 soundtrack mixed by Eddie Kramer and some additional color footage from the night before. However, that one hasn't been reissued on Blu-ray as of yet. They probably should have done it in coordination with Songs for Groovy Children. Next in 2012 was a reissue of Jimmy Plays Berkeley. This time they'd actually found some new material and edited it back into the film. This included Here My Train of Common and Voodoo Child from the first set and Machine Gun for the second set. Now, annoyingly, it doesn't include all the footage from the first film. I believe some parts of Here My Train of Common are missing. So I don't know if it was to swap out for the Nubra stuff, but uh, I tried doing a re-edit to get it all in one place. I'll have to try that again at some point. 
Now, I'm not sure why, but for some reason, even though they'd done a fairly successful documentary just a few years earlier with Voodoo Child, Experience Hendrix teamed up with PBS's American Masters program to put out another documentary. This one entitled Here My Train of Coming. At this point, we pretty much know the story. It's just who they could get to tell it. And at this point, a number of key figures, Chaz, Noel, Mitch, Buddy, had passed on. But it was still quite well done. The Blu-ray extras included a Purple Haze performance from Top of the Pops in March 1967, Foxy Lady Tax-Free and Fire from the Miami Pop Festival, the CD of that show came out around the same time, and two sets of performances from 1970. From New York Pop, they included Message to Love, Lover Man, All on the Watchtower, Purple Haze, and Voodoo Child. Now, Foxy Lady and the Star Spangled Banner appeared in the film The Day the Music Died. It was supposed to come out in the early 70s, but didn't see release until 1977 or so. It didn't get wide exposure until the mid-80s, and even then it wasn't all that much. If you thought Rainbow Bridge was a hippy-dippy nightmare, this one is just completely out there. Watch it for the performances and just skim through the rest. I'm guessing because of this film, they weren't able to use the two songs included for the uh, Blu-ray extras. And of course, there's no footage of Red House, which is the one song that this set is best known for. Then finally, they found footage from the Isle of Femon for a number of songs and synced it up with some of the amateur recorded sound from the show. They got Killing Fort, Spanish Castle Magic, All on the Watchtower, and Foxy Lady. Obviously, no one knew at the time this would be Jimmy's last show, so it's just very good luck someone was there to get it on film in some way. Overall, a nice package with some very good extras. In 2014, they reissued Blue Wild Angel with one additional song. They decided to add Hey Joe into the alternate angle section. Only one camera caught the song, so it would make pretty bad viewing in the context of the main concert. You can only pad it with B-roll footage for so long. Not sure what the cameraman was thinking. A lot of it had Jimmy on the right-hand side of the stage, and the rest was just empty air. Now, the next year was the Atlanta show. This is the one where the CD version was called Freedom and the video presentation was called Electric Church. This version adds Red House and Freedom into the set compared to the original video. Plus, it created a special version of Room Full of Mirrors since apparently it wasn't very well captured on video originally. Then, after a few years without new videos, at last the beginning was included as part of the Electric Leyland 50th set on Blu-ray. The documentary Music, Money, Madness came out in 2020, documenting the craziness that surrounded the making of Rainbow Bridge. As I mentioned back in the episode about it, everyone was given a fair shake. They didn't overtly make fun or denigrate anyone involved. They called it straight. Now, oddly enough, the story is the Electric Lady studio box that was teased a few years back, includes a documentary on the creation of the studio, and Experience Hendrix is looking to sell it to one of the streaming services, so once that's done, the box should come out in coordination with that release. For the next part of the show, we'll take a quick look at the four major concert films, Monterey, Woodstock, Atlanta, and Isle of Wight, and see if there are any major differences between the edits of the previous versions and the ones Experience Hendrix put out. Now, remember last time when comparing the two Monterey films by D.A. Pennebaker, there were enough differences to matter. Now you've got two different sets of eyes looking at the footage and different ideas about how to arrange it. 
Now, I don't think we'll do them all shot by shot, but we'll mention each song if there's anything majorly different about them, like the Star Spangled Banner from the Woodstock film, the Jimi Hendrix film, two completely different presentations of the same event. So we'll do Monterey first since that's fresh in our minds from last episode. The first one I'll call Jimmy plays the second live at. Interestingly, Brian Jones's intro is done from a different camera on each. Jimmy plays has it from the bottom left. Live at has it from Noel's side of the stage. Killing Floor is shot for shot the exact same presentation in both films. Foxy Lady is generally the same, but adds in an occasional shot from the back camera behind Mitch during the first verse. Then the solo has a few more cuts from the front and back. Like a Rolling Stone is almost exactly the same. They lose the, that's Bob Dylan's grandma over there, cut to Noel, which I liked. Wish they would have kept it. Then the outro gets a trio shot and a few shots from the back edited in. Rock Me Baby is also the same right up until the end when they toss in an alternate angle and a trio shot at the end. Hey Joe has maybe four shots different. Live At has the band instead of the audience. There's a different shot at the end of the first solo in the middle of the last verse and right towards the end. Now remember, there's no Can You See Me, so it's on to When Cries Mary. Live At gets to it a few seconds sooner. There's one or two alternate shots in the next to last verse and the end. Then the major difference. Live At has Purple Haze in its correct place, or what's left of it anyway. It makes it towards the end of the second verse before the film runs out, and they basically plug in anything that vaguely looks like what they're playing. You get a lot of close-ups, a bunch of audience shots, even a loop-in when Jimmy sang Purple Haze the first time. Not perfect, almost amateurish at times in the sense that it looks like something I would do, but they already did the credits version the first time out, so they tried something else. Then on to the finale. For the intro to Wild Thing, Live At chooses the camera filming Jimmy's face in close-up as opposed to the other one that was over from Noel's vantage point. It brings you close to him in this really heartfelt moment. Then, for the most part, Wild Thing is the same up until the solo in the middle. When he does the roll, they use the front camera for the whole band. Then it's the same right up until the moment he gets to the lighter fluid. Then they make a mistake. They decided to use a bunch of different camera angles for the burning and smashing of the guitar. I know they wanted to do it that way to have it be different, but in this case, it's such an iconic moment, it dissipates the power of that image that we all know and love. I liken it to a moment when I was at film class in NYU. We were doing a three-camera television shoot, and my friend Philippe was doing his, and I was the camera switcher. The director would call out what camera to use, and we'd hit the switch. So he's doing his scene, and at a key moment, he calls out a different angle, and we miss the moment. So we try a second take and we get to that moment and he calls it out again and we miss it. You know, it's like we can't get the two characters in the right shot. So we do it a third time and then we get to the moment he calls out the change. I say, hold it. Okay, now. Then I switch it. We do one more take and he called out the change again. So the next week as he's editing it together, he says, oh, thank you, John. I wouldn't have had it to use if you hadn't have held it. I'm like, I know, I told you, don't switch it. That's kind of what we have here. 
The power of the image is the focus on Jimmy. Don't distract us with whatever else is going on. Don't have your mind processed a bunch of new images. It's right there in front of you. Don't cut away. If you want to do an alternate edit, they should have either done it as an extra or going whole hog wild to make it a totally unique experience, all different angles from stuff that we've never seen before. This way we know what to expect and we don't get it. We don't even get the one lady hit the tambourine. We do get the other two girls. As for the second look feature, they spell out there were six cameras used to film everything, but not all six cameras were always running at the same time. They have several songs with several different camera angles. Killing Floor has two extra, one focused on Noel and the one towards the back of the audience. Foxy Lady has the one towards the side of the audience and the one behind Mitch. Like a Rolling Stone has the side audience one and the one by Noel. Hey Joe only has two, the side audience and the one behind Mitch. Wild Thing only has one camera in full, the one from the back of the audience. You have to use your angle button to switch between them all. I'd rather they just did a chapter for each, but it allows you to be your own director. Next up, let's take a look at Woodstock. Before we do, let's take a quick look at what Michael Wadley added to the extended cut in 1994. He adds in the intro where the band comes out and Jimmy goes, I see we meet again. He then cuts right to Voodoo Child without the Wawa intro. For the most part, he uses the bottom front camera, the one they used for the Star Spangled Banner in the 1973 Jimi Hendrix film. He also does a lot of cross-fading and double exposures with several of the other angles, which isn't really something he did in the original film. He famously used the multiple images on the screen at the same time, like during The Who and Sly Stone. I would have liked to have seen some of that, but he did what he did to get the song into the film, at least the opening part. So we're going to have to have the edits follow the song since the two releases bounce around a bit. We'll use the full set list, minus Larry's songs, then match up the Douglas cut to those. In fact, that's what we'll be doing with the other two shows as well. All three videos, the Woodstock Director's Cut, the 90s Cut, and Live at Woodstock, all have Jimmy's I See We Meet Again intro. Most of the early part of the show will be exclusively on Live at Woodstock. The first three songs are only on that set. Message of Love acts as an intro to the 90s film with a montage of festival footage, including Jerry Garcia hanging out, before Jimmy's intro of the new band. Both versions are edited basically the same. Live At has the band actually doing the song. There were either two or three cameras covering both from below the stage on either side with an occasional zoom-in, then at one point we get some shots from the camera way in the back of the audience. One of the cameras had some pretty bad sun glare on it, so it's obvious why this wasn't used for much. This was followed by Hear My Train of Coming, which as mentioned was not filmed by Wadley's crew, but was caught by the videotape from the side. Well, there's a little bit of color footage towards the beginning of the song that switches to the videotape for the second verse. Though the cameraman is more interested in some guy in a sweater off to the side until Jimmy starts to solo. It's a shame they didn't get this on film. It's really an amazing performance, but at least we have this. Now, Spanish Castle Magic followed, and frankly, I think the set would have flowed a little better with this as the second song in here. I'm trying to come in third, but it is what it is. 
it opens with this really cool shot of the whole band and then the camera walks in front of the stage over to the other side and then zooms in on jimmy you know all this cool stuff they were never able to use in the movie there's this neat segment in the middle during the jam where it focuses in on jimmy's face and somebody's not doing something right and he lets them know it <laughs> you can see it on his face towards the end they got one of the camera guys up with a videotape was shooting so we get footage from that vantage point now the sets begin to match up a little red house was fourth in the actual set but third in the 90s video the intros are a little different but most of the opening and first verse are exactly the same shots then for the second verse live at adds a shot from the upper camera before going back to the other footage when we get to the solo the 90s film has a shot of billy where live at has jimmy playing before syncing up again and they both even cut larry's solo in the same place it was in tune it was cool it was what the guy did for his life left it in now speaking of had this been the complete show mastermind would go here then it's back to the exclusives for the next two songs in live at loverman starts with a shot of a goat before focusing in on jimmy's guitar there's a great little bit where larry does his solo yeah they actually leave it in uh jimmy does his little dance before focusing in on his part oddly there's no close-ups on Larry, even when he's doing his solo, but what do we expect? Then during the solo, we hear Billy starting the Batman section, but Jimmy doesn't join in. You have to wonder if this is where that part began. The rest of the song mixes the front cameras and zoom-ins. Then for Foxy Lady, we get this great full shot of Jimmy vibrating the strings while we hear nothing, and then Jerry Belez walks up to go fill up his water bottle or something before the song kicks in. Boy, Larry's guitar was really out of tune at this point. I do have to admit that. Most of the song was shot from the bottom right camera. Then there's a section where the right stage camera is double exposed before it fades in totally to that. After that, almost all the rest of the songs are on both sets, just not the same order. The next three songs in the actual set are almost on the 90s version in reverse, just with Red House tossed in the middle. Jam Back at the House makes its debut in one of its only two live performances. Apart from a stray shot here and there, they're almost both exactly the same edit, even down to some random audience shots. The live at version ends Mitch's drum solo three seconds sooner than the old one. This is followed by Isabella. Both versions include Jimmy's tribute to the audience, you know, hanging in there for three days and, you know, living nothing but sound, you know. The 90s version then not only moves the song to second in the set, but cuts out Jimmy's intro to the actual song. Not sure why. It was on not only the 94 Woodstock album, but it was also on Woodstock 2 way back in 1971, so it's a known part of the performance. However, it does include a little more of the intro compared to live at that cuts right to Jimmy playing the guitar. Otherwise, the two edits are identical. There's a couple different shots during the solo, but that's about it. Gypsy Woman would have gone here, then it's on to fire. Alan Douglas used this as the first song for his film. He tended to like the song as an opener. He would used it for Jimi Hendrix concerts and live at Winterland. It was also the opener for the Atlanta film, which is fine because it actually opened the show. 
Again, the two edits are basically identical. There's a couple different shots during the solo, but that's about it. The bulk of the rest of the films contain the half-hour finale. Voodoo Child starts off almost immediately with the Wawa intro. There was maybe one alternate shot between the two versions, but otherwise the same. It's funny hearing Jimmy wish the crowd a good night when it's 8 in the morning. Then right at the end, as the films sync up you know, sound-wise with the 1970 film, the images diverge a bit. The new ones both use Jimmy from the front of the stage instead of the total back shot from 1970, but the 90s film cuts back to the behind shot while Live At stays in front the whole time. For the Star Spangled Banner, the 90s one uses a variety of shots for the first verse, while Live At uses the 1973 film's angle. For the second verse, they sync up a bit with 1970, then Live At goes back to the 1973 angle. For the tap section, the 90s one has a close-up on his face instead of the guitar, then for the end, they go back to the 1970 footage. For Purple Haze, the 90s version cuts a variety of angles together while Live At sticks with the 1970 footage. Then for that drop-down where Jimmy goes out of frame, both thankfully switch to a full band view so we can see him the whole time. For a lot of the first verse, both cut with the audience instead of using the 1970 angle. Live At mostly uses that for the song while the 90s one cuts all over the place until the end of the solo when they sync up again. The ending has different angles for the 90s one while Live At stays on one angle. For the instrumental solo, again, Live At stays still for the part that's on the Woodstock album while the 90s one jumps around. Once we get to the section in the Woodstock album where they cut from the solo to Villanova Junction, once we get to that new section, the two versions synced up again with a camera focused just on Jimmy. The slow section of that has changes. Again, 90s has a lot of edits where live ad stays focused. When it hits the quiet section, they match again. More changes come when they get to the bolero part. Same pattern, live ad is basically still, the 90s are jumping around. Villanova Junction starts out the same, but again, live ad stays on it while the 90s one cuts and cuts and cuts. For the second half, it comes together again. The 90s film ends here, but Live At gives us the Hey Joe encore. They cut out the part where Jimmy tries to introduce Valleys and Neptune. They just go to the song after the band is reintroduced. Surprise, there were still several cameras with films so they could edit a performance together. They did a lot from the far side one compared to the most of the other songs, but, you know, the song is there. Uh, say, anybody see where Cherry Velez went? <laughs> just doesn't seem to be there. I have to say, watching it on Blu-ray, it really brings out the grain in the film stock in some of the shots. I mean, really, you can see the little dots. It also has the cool feature where you can watch the videotape and the film at the same time for the songs. Obviously, you can't do it for my train of coming, but as you can see, I made note of the different editing styles of the two versions. We will definitely see more of this to come. Now on to Atlanta. This time the two presentations are radically different owing to the times they were put together. The 1992 film opens with the studio version of Message of Love for about three minutes. They then include Jimmy's introduction of the band. 
The 2015 version has the intro as well, but mixed in as part of the Electric Church documentary about the show. Then for the concert itself, they both start with fire. The 90s version has a lot of fast cuts back and forth from a full shot of Jimmy to a camera focusing in on the guitar. The 2015 version holds the shots a lot longer and mostly concentrates on the full shot of Jimmy. Spanish Castle Magic is the same. 1992 has a lot of fast cuts, but this time mostly the full shot. The 2015 mixes between the full shot and the camera on the guitar, but again holds the shot for long stretches. The 2015 film has Red House next. A lot of shots from the two cameras in the back and close-ups until he starts the lyrics. Then it goes back to the front full shot. During the solo section, it concentrates on the guitar and his hands on the frets. Then both of them have all on the watchtower. The 2015 version plugs in the opening from a different audio source, then they both match up from there. Surprisingly, while still reflecting the editing style of the other two songs, these two have the most in common with each other so far. Not that they're all that similar, but they have a lot of the same touch points. Then the 2015 version goes right into Freedom, mostly concentrating on Jimmy from the front or side with cuts to Mitch and Billy towards the middle of the song. Both go to Foxy Lady next, and again, though they're edited along similar lines to the others in their presentation, they have a large number of shots similar. The Star Spangled Banner Fall Start is followed by Purple Haze. These were so similar at times, they even matched up cuts to show Mitch and Billy a couple of times. For Hey Joe, the 2015 one does a wise edit right when Jimmy's head backs out of the frame, so they cut out 10 seconds of tune-up. The two versions start out very different. They sort of sync up in the middle and then head off in their own directions at the end. Then oddly enough, the 1992 version has Red House here. Their edit starts out really unfocused, just kind of wandering all over the place. The solo section focuses in on Jimmy, and the end kind of stays on him as well. The 2015 film has Voodoo Child here as it was in the original set. The 1992 one has it at the end. They start out a little differently, but by the end, they're practically identical down to some of the quick edits to random things. Then both have the end of set footage, 1992 out of Red House, 2015 out of Voodoo Child. Some freeze up next. The 2015 version edits out a lot of the tuning up that the 1992 one has. Again, apart from the fast cuts in 92, they're basically the same overall. Next is the Star Spangled Banner. 1992 pretty much has the one from Johnny B. Good. To be honest, I'm not really sure what the 2015 version is. There's not a lot of Jimmy in it. There's a lot of dark screen, some fireworks and sparklers. Just, I don't know what they did there. Then for Straight Ahead, 1992 has a good mix of full shots and close-ups, while 2015 focuses on Jimmy sort of alone on the stage trying out his new material. To be honest, I think the 1992 version does a better job of capturing what's going on during this section of the show. Overall, 92 uses a lot more close-ups, while 2015 focuses on the whole Jimmy Wood cuts to his guitar playing. And as we've often mentioned, the attitude, Hey Baby, is nowhere to be found on either. Roomful of Mirrors is included as an extra on 2015. There's some footage of it, but only from a camera down under Jimmy's microphone. So they came up with a video with a lot of photos from the show. 
some of the concert footage and whatever they had from the song itself. Definitely doesn't work in the context of the show itself, but fine for what it is. Finally, we'll take a look at the two Isle of Wight films. The Blue Wild Angel version starts out with a full four minutes of Jimmy walking through the backstage area, discussing things like how God Save the Queen goes, how he wants the band introduced, and even the Royal Albert Hall lawsuit. Yes, it's been going on that long. The 1990 film picks up right as Jimmy's walking on stage as Jeff Dexter's doing the intro, then edits in the bit where Jimmy asks about God Save the Queen. When they finally break into the song, the 1990 film mostly sticks to the side shot of Jimmy for the bulk of it before doing cuts to Mitch towards the end. Blue Wild Angel mixes in some of the band shots and Mitch into the Jimmy footage. Then the 1990 film cuts right to Sergeant Pepper while Blue Wild Angel gives us the drum solo and the reasoning. Jimmy spends almost all of it talking to the guys backstage to adjust the volume. Sergeant Pepper is mostly covered from the side. 1990 mixes in some footage from Billy's side while Blue Wild Angel adds in some audience shot and footage from the front. Spanish Castle Magic is next for both. In this case, the Blue Wild Angel version clearly modeled theirs after the 1990 edit, but added in some more footage and moved around a bit while the original one stayed static for quite a while at a time. In fact, it's almost the opposite of the Atlanta footage from around the same time. It may be they didn't have as much footage to use at that point, so their options were somewhat limited. That also seems to be the case with All on the Watchtower. Again, the 1990 version focuses mainly on Billy's camera and the front one with occasional other cameras mixed in briefly. Blue Wild Angel has five or six different camera angles included. One of them included in both the close-up of Jimmy's face has a flaw in the film, so each chooses to cut away at different times. Now here's where the two films diverge considerably. 1990 has Voodoo Child and Freedom Next. We'll deal with them when we get to these songs in Blue Wild Angel. In the actual set, Machine Gun is next, and it will be another one that's presented very differently in each. They start off the same, then after about a minute, the 1990 version cuts about a minute and a half out, mostly the section where the security radios start coming over the speakers. The two then do the first verse together, then the 1990 film makes another big cut. You can even hear it if you know to look for it. About two minutes later, they sync up again for a minute or so. 1990 then cuts out another minute again, then they're back together again. After another minute and a half during the drum solo, there's another cut. In Blue Wild Angel, we get to see Jimmy backstage again. Two and a half minutes of the drum solo gets taken out in 1990 before they get back together for about 45 seconds. Then another 45 seconds get cut out, and they're back together for verse two. Yeah, this is a long version. Then it gets really tough to compare because the film footage stays zero, but the audio starts doing totally different things. There's one point where they sync up for about like five seconds, then 1990 cuts out again. Blue Wild Angel gives us the entire Race with the Devil section, which also includes the third verse, not done on the Band of Gypsies album, but it's in the Berkeley version. So that's a good three minutes difference right there. So overall, 1990 gives you a flavor of what the performance was like, where Blue Wild Angel gives you the whole thing, flaws and all. 
Loverman is next in Blue Wild Angel, and Jimmy switches over to the Flying V. This sort of restricted itself to the close-up camera and the one behind the band. I wonder if it's why they didn't include it in the first one. Freedom follows in the set list, but remember 1990 had it earlier, so they had to edit in some footage of Jimmy changing guitars first. Then it's weird. The two are pretty closely edited together, but the side close-up camera is a lot closer than in Blue Wild Angel. It's like they took the film and then zoomed it in even closer. Then when it gets to the breakdown section, you know, na, 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 na. 1990 cuts most of the last minute out and just goes right to the end. It's a very strange edit. Now, another oddity, Red House is next in the set, but 1990 moved the song that follows right in front of it. Why? The edits mainly stay the same, but again, Blue Wild Angel has a little more variety without looking ADD. The version from the 1973 film picks up with the beginning of the vocals. It mainly stuck to the camera in front with an occasional slight close-up. Dolly Dagger is next in the set, but you have to go back to before Red House to see it in the 1990 version. The earlier one sticks a lot to the behind the band camera and slight close-up. Then right at the end of the solo, it cuts and leaves out the second verse. Then it includes the start of the outro, then edits a minute out of that. Why bother including the song at all if you're going to do that? Just strange choices. Next in the set was Midnight Lightning, but it's missing because there's nothing on film for it. The next four songs, Foxy Lady, Message of Love, Easy Rider, and Purple Haze, are only in Blue Wild Angel. Foxy Lady starts off with a lot of audience footage, I guess to give it time to catch up as the camera is getting up to speed. Just remember, this was coming out of Midnight Lightning. It mainly concentrates on the two cameras on Jimmy's side, until he splits his pants. As the camera shifts to Billy's side, I actually see him go backstage to get them fixed, and he's still playing. This would explain why the song is kind of on the long side. We do get a couple of shots from the camera in front of Billy shooting back towards Jimmy. We also get a lot of shots of Eric Barrett peering over the amps. Message of Love is mostly done from Jimmy's side camera to start towards the end some Camera work gets a little messy. I guess the guys must have been tired. Just angles start moving weird ways. Can't blame the guys. It was, what, like 3 in the morning or something. Hey Baby was next in the set, but it's also missing, so this required Experience Hendrix to do a little audio finagling to have it merge relatively smoothly into Easy Writer, which they kind of pull off. Not surprising, Mitch and Jimmy are a major focus of the footage. Somewhat surprisingly, the audience gets a lot of play as well. I guess it was due to the camera issues that kept them from getting Hey Baby on camera and only getting Hey Joe with the one camera. To cover for Hey Joe, they cut right into uh, the opening of Purple Haze as the last note of Easy Rider plays. There's a lot of wide shot of the band from the audience for this song, the Hey Joe camera. And there's this dude off to the side of the stage by Billy dancing with sticks in his hand throughout the whole song. Needless to say, it's really distracting and happy they were able to cut away for anything else. It's like, okay, I get it, dude. You're enjoying yourself. <laughs> Why film it that much? The film's next meet up of Voodoo Child, but remember we have to go back to the middle of 1990 to find it. That version takes a bit of the outro to Purple Haze and uses it as an intro. And as soon as Voodoo Child starts, the earlier one edits it 
almost right up to the verse, but it's for a good reason. Jimmy's way out of tune and needs to fix his strings, which we see in Blue Wild Angel. From there, they sync up pretty well until right before the second verse. 1990 cuts to the end of the song, then fades it down since it's in a way different place in their set. Then we're up to the finale in From the Storm. 1990 has to contrive the guitar change again, then cuts right to the start of the song like the 1973 film version. That one is mostly from Billy's side camera and a close-up one. Blue Wild Angel gives us the drum solo. As for the song, they use a lot of the same footage and cuts, but as usual, Blue Wild Angel has a little more variety. The way Jimmy drops his guitar at the end, you could tell he was really annoyed. The 1990 version ends with the note that Jimmy died 18 days later. It's interesting that the two early 90s shows, Atlanta and Isle of Wight, are almost polar opposites in their editing style. Atlanta was very frantic with a lot of cuts. I wouldn't be surprised to learn it was actually edited in the 80s around the time of Johnny B. Good. It's way more like an MTV video. Isle of Wight was far more static, maybe owing to their access to the source material. And one interesting note, the 1973 versions are slower than the other two. I don't know why I was like watching it. I was like syncing them up and all of a sudden 1973 would keep falling behind. I checked it out with both and turns out they're both at the wrong speed. I guess maybe that has something to do with video and film frames per second. This is the stuff that I learned in film school. So, Speaking of access to additional material, the second look section of Blue Wild Angel has eight different songs with multiple camera angles, plus a single camera Hey Joe on the Blu-ray, which would have been before Purple Haze. The first four songs have three angles, one from the front, one from Jimmy's side of the stage, and third from the back behind Billy. Along the Watchtower has the first two zoomed in more than the previous songs. Machine Gun only has two available, the one in front of Jimmy and the one behind Billy. Red House and Foxy Lady have three, one in front of Jimmy, one behind him, and the one behind Billy. In From the Storm just has the ones behind Jimmy and Billy. Now, I did leave a couple of things out. In 2000, Rhino Home Video finally put out the original 123-minute cut of Rainbow Bridge. I'm going to go deal with that next time. And I'm also going to do a little bit on the two edits of Jimmy Plays Berkeley because somebody actually asked me, hey, could you describe what's there? No, we do take requests here. I'll also do a quick talk about the added things they put onto the 1973 film DVD. I'll talk about all that in the context of the two films where Jimmy's life is actually portrayed on screen, just not including his music. Next time, we'll talk about how Jimmy's music has been used in some major films since the late 60s, including a popular Oscar winner. Then we'll go over the two biographical films that had been done about him, and ironically, how they did not have Jimmy's music included. Plus, as mentioned, we'll talk about what was added to the 2000 VHS release of Rainbow Bridge, the DVD of the 1973 film, and by request, Jimmy Plays Berkeley, 1971 versus 2012. That's next time on Keep On Grooving. Please hit the subscribe button if you like what you're hearing. I'm John Hartchart. Thanks for listening.